Welcome to the Looney Engineering Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about being a good junior and how you can provide the most amount of value to your team with the least amount of experience. My name is Chris Naismith. I'm Andrew Clarkson. And let's get into it. Awesome. I'm excited to get into this. So I'm a relatively fresh junior. I'm coming up on six months at my company. I think I've done a pretty good job, but I'm excited to talk about this and probably get some advice of my own from you. I think the first thing um, about providing value to your team as a junior is for, like basically your first couple of days. Like when you join a company, like that, let's take you, um, that, that's actually, let's go over your first week. So you join a company, honestly, your first day or two days is probably going to be a write-off. You're going to be signing a bunch of paperwork, going through HR sort of like stuff, onboarding. Um, it's been pretty common at every single company that I start at. Um, sometimes you have like security training that you have to do, getting introduced to all the systems, getting your account set up. Um, but after those first couple of days, you have your accounts and you're actually working with your team, it's the onboarding that is most specific to what you're going to be working on over the next, you know, however long you're at the company. Man, and were you there? <laughs> was I there? I, uh, maybe. I've been just lurking in the shadows. Um, and each company is different in the way that they do onboarding. You know, sometimes you'll get like a buddy that will be your onboarding buddy that's most likely on your team. In some cases you have like apps like Donut where you can start to like intermingle with different parts of the company. Uh, or in some cases you're reading documentation or mix up. And what I think is most important is when you are going through documentation, the important thing is A, highlight anything that doesn't make sense. Like whether it's like physically highlighting it, um, you know, writing down notes of what doesn't make sense, what you want to learn about. And the other thing is identifying pieces of documentation that is out of date, stuff that doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe you clone down a repo and that repo is out of date, you know, is using an older version of something or, you know, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and where you can provide a lot of value when coming into any company is being the person to update that documentation when you are going through it or identifying anything that is missing. I got more call outs, more celebration and excited leads and seniors from the complete overhaul I did of our onboarding documentation with one of the other juniors than I did for any project, any bug fix, anything else I did in my first probably three months. Yeah. And honestly, like it, it provides the most value because anything that you identify, like when you, when you fix a bug, like in production, like probably not going to be doing that in your first couple of days. Like you're still going to be setting up your local machine, making sure that you can connect to like staging or dev and, oh, you need to also install this library globally on your computer because it's necessary um, and so some of those things aren't documented. And so making it clean and easy to getting onboarded is super important. If you can take a two day process and make it a day and a half or make it one day, um, all the better. 
yeah, for, for us, it's more like we took a process that was taking people weeks in some cases because we've got such a convoluted process and there's just so many repos and so much going on. And there hadn't been a good update in a while, which is why everyone was so excited when we did it. For me, it took, uh, I think it took about three days. We've had people that just ran into little bugs, little issues, needed pairing along the way, and like would literally take weeks before it was complete. They were still able to do some things, but before they had like a, a good operational environment, it was taking a while. And since we did the rewrite, it's like a few days now for everyone, which is amazing. So that's awesome. That's, it's, it's such a huge point. It, you feel like you can't contribute, especially as a junior. You're like, oh, what, what can I possibly be adding to these documents that somebody else that's much smarter than I, that's way ahead of I of me, how can I add to this? How can I change this? But the thing is, it's changed a hundred times since the last time it was written. Yep. That's, that's the big problem with documentation is when it was written, um, we could even say like, hopefully when it was written, it was mostly up to date. Um, but as soon as, as soon as documentation is written, unless if it's constantly being updated, it's going to fall behind. And you can very easily see that by looking at the last modified date on documentation. We use Confluence, which is like an Atlassian product. Um, I'm assuming you use the same. Uh, we use Notion for most of our onboarding documents. Okay. Yeah. And actually, it's the only place that I use Notion that I actually like it. And then it's been updated about a dozen times since we did that big overhaul. So we've kind of got the ball rolling. So it continues to be updated now. Because once it is, people are like, oh, wait, something changed. Yeah. Now, I've worked at a lot of companies where sometimes documentation falls out of date because you don't, you're not constantly hiring. I think that's one thing you see at a lot of um, high growth companies is where people are constantly coming in. So your documentation has to be good. If uh, if you're only hiring maybe one person a quarter or every other quarter uh, a slow company, your documentation is probably going to very quickly fall out of date because it's been three to six months since the last time someone came in. That's actually exactly what it was. And I think it was upwards of a year. I was the first developer brought on or one of the first brought on in quite some time. And it was me and one other developer at the same time. So it was actually really good, especially as my first role being able to go through it with somebody else. And I was the one that was happy to ask all the stupid questions. And so now there is a Slack channel full of my questions that I was able to go back that I used as my notes to rewrite everything. And Perfect. Then, you made uh, like an FAQ from your own questions. Yeah, it's exactly what it was. And it was a lot of questions. And then from that, we've had several developers come on since, uh, leads and juniors. And they've been able to go through it. And actually somebody from my team went through it really recently because he blew up the system and he was able to blast through it fairly quickly, which was awesome. That was, that really helped to kind of validate what we had done. That's awesome. The, what we have at um, my company and some other places that I've worked at is trying to automate as much of that process as possible. Yes. So instead of saying like, oh, you need to install this package globally and make sure that Python, you know, three is installed and make sure that you pip install this package and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It's like, just, just provide the command and just say, run this command, run this. Um, in a lot of cases, it's not necessary to explain why you need to install something. Um, the only asterisk that I will say to that is sometimes a part of your onboarding documentation is not documented why you need something. And in the future, you no longer need it. That's, that's you know, kind of the trade-off that you play is uh, 
how much documentation do I need to write? Or do I just say, run this command and you should be good to go? Yeah, we've made a lot of progress towards that. And our platform team is actually working on automating it into closer to like a few commands rather than where we're at right now. And it's been a major push for this. And I've had a bit of a hand in that. So I'm kind of excited to see where that goes in the new year. That's awesome. Now, so after your onboarding, so you've got your onboarding, you've got your environment set up and you're raring to write some code. What happens next? Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, in a good team, you know, you should as a junior have something that is approachable for you to sign off and take ownership of. I think ownership is really important um, regardless of your seniority in a company, because it gives you the ability to um, become the knowledge expert in in an area. And I don't want to make any sort of juniors concerned that they're going to have to become the main person um, knowing how something works. But when you take ownership, it gives you sort of like stake in the game, right? It, it says like, Andrew isn't just going to be at this company for six months and then like head out the door. Um, because he doesn't know how anything works and feels overwhelmed. It's like, no, let's, let's give them something that is approachable. Maybe it's a, a subset of a feature and there's a bug. That's usually the, the first thing that most companies that I have seen operate with juniors is let's give them a low priority bug uh, that should be fairly approachable for them with their skill set. And so that could just be something that they could, you know, <laughs> piddle away on, uh, not to make it sound negative, but something where they can work on it. There shouldn't be too much like overlap. It's not urgent. It's not needed yesterday, but it's something where they can start to understand the code base, start to understand how the systems connect to each other, either in a big way or in a small way, and be able to start understanding, well, what happens when I disable this or remove that? Like, How does that impact this bug that's happening? Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to start out. And that's exactly how I started out in mine as well. It's, and, and it works even beyond juniors. It's just getting used to the code base, digging around and going through the process. And especially because it lets you iterate over the process. So if you get a few of those in a row, you start to learn how does the company do QA? How does the company approve PRs? How should you be submitting PRs? Is everything connected properly? And I think it helps you ramp up really quick because you get a few quick wins in and you've actually merged some code in production. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing something here. Like as a junior, that felt so good. It's like, Hey, I've got something that's on the app that actually is it's real life. Exactly. And it gives you small wins to help you have the confidence in order to start tackling bigger problems and therefore having bigger wins. Um, but one thing that I would say is this isn't, meant to be an exercise where you're just thrown in the deep end by yourself. You know, this is something where just because you have ownership over a feature or whatever it be, doesn't mean that you're doing it by yourself. The point being though, is, is that you're essentially in charge of it. You're in charge of making sure that it goes across the finish line, but your job as a junior is to collaborate with your team. And that's with other engineers, both, people with same amount of seniority, you know, like other juniors as well as seniors working with your PMs, your manager, all that sort of stuff. Like when you come into a company, your job is to try to essentially take as much 
knowledge from your peers uh, and absorb it as quickly as possible. You know, the quicker you can do that, the better. Yeah, that's true because the quicker you're able to do it, the quicker you can contribute. And especially if your team is responsible for a certain domain or a certain, uh, certain repo, you need to get up and be able to contribute to that as quickly as possible. And it's not saying that week two, you're going to be the, the expert in this. But it's exactly. going to be, hey, maybe you, you kind of understand what's going on. And then a month or two in, you can answer some questions. And when products starting to wonder what's going on with something, you know what's going on. Or another engineer has a problem and they aren't on your team or they aren't uh, the ones that are part of your repo, your domain uh, experience. You can say, hey, no, I know what that is. I know the answer to that. And then all of a sudden you start being a little more visible in Slack. And then other people start seeing you and, and what you're doing. Like, hey, hey, this new guy, he, he knows what's up. Exactly. Yeah. And what I think is also important, kind of the opposite of this is when you get into, and it doesn't even have to be something that you're specifically working on. You know, I think it's, it's very common to be sitting in meetings that are maybe less than relevant to you, but trying to make meetings as useful for yourself as possible um, is one of the ways that you can provide value as a junior. And what I mean by that is, is trying to make it as relevant for yourself. It's not like to put the spotlight on yourself, but when there's a conversation that's happening about, oh, we want to add this new feature, uh, so-and-so is working on it, blah, 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 blah. If you don't have any context into it, that is the prime point to ask questions. You know, Being able to ask, oh, how come we're doing this? Why are, why are we building it this way? Why are we using this technology? Asking those questions, because as much as you know, probably in your first week or weeks, you're reading documentation, not everything is going to be documented. Um, especially new work is probably some of the most undocumented stuff because it is still TBD. You might be doing experimentation. You might be um, not even sure if this feature is going to go out. Um, or, you know, you might not write documentation until a feature is already released. So asking questions um, about what is being worked on, um, how things work, you know. In addition to that, something I've learned along the way is your questions, they might be stupid questions. I work with somebody who his big thing is to ask a stupid question every day and to get that out of the way as early as possible in the day. And, and I love it because it's right on his checklist. It's on his to-do. But what that really helps everyone else with is understanding if the things that they're doing are understandable and if they make sense, and it helps them to explain it. So if you can explain it to another engineer, it's going to help you to explain it to product, and it's going to help. It's going to help to just talk about it and understand it at a higher level than just the code. Yeah, no, I know that does this, but then when you kind of take a step back and look at that from a higher level, all of a sudden you can make it more of a, a business thing than just a code thing, which is so important for us as engineers. Absolutely, and it kind of comes into the best way to learn is to teach, because you might have a somewhat fair understanding of how something works. Um, maybe you understand the how or the what, but you don't necessarily understand the why. And that was something that I was sort of uh, taught by my first engineering manager is you can find anyone to understand the what and the how, but someone that is always questioning the why, why are we doing this, is one of the most valuable people on a team because the way that we solve stuff today is not the same way that we solve stuff prior. 
And it shouldn't also be the same way of how we solve stuff in the future. So if you ask questions about like, well, why do we have this CI process? Why does it need to be, um, why does the CI need to run before I can merge this PR in? And in a, you know, the answer to that would be so that we can do quality checks on our code before it gets merged into the code base. And you as a junior might not know that from previous projects that you've worked on because they were so small scale, not being used in, you know, large environments that you might not necessarily know what goes into that. But on the other side, you might have it where, you know, a project requires two approvals on a, pro uh, on a PR before it can be merged in. And the question could be, is that necessary? Why do we have two? Oh, well, you know, we wanted to increase transparency, but then what ends up happening is you restructure the teams so that there's better transparency there. So you don't actually need two approvals anymore. You might only need one. And why, why is probably the scariest question to ask as a junior? Because why is, why, like, tell me the reason that you're doing this thing. How, okay, you can show me a thing. How is just a, a set? What are we doing? This is what we're doing. But why, it's almost like you're questioning the very nature of what we're doing. So that can be a terrifying question, question as the new guy. Uh, you, you go in there and you're like, well, why are we doing that? And depending on the person on the receiving side, hopefully it's that, awesome hero level senior that's just like ready to explain it to you but they might not be in that frame of mind and that can be really scary especially if you do get somebody who isn't that real leader type and they kind of give you a little bit of backlash like well why wouldn't we or they give you kind of some sort of aggressive answer um, but why is also probably the most valuable question for all the reasons you just explained for your understanding of it, but even better is for their understanding. They can explain it to you. And this is why now you have one more person that gets it. Now you have one more person that can explain the why. Absolutely. It's also a good way to identify biases in the way that mm. something is being solved. Because oftentimes you have a business requirement that is maybe this take like a sort of generic metric. We need to increase conversion by 5% on the, the homepage, you know, whatever it be. And the way that someone goes about that might be, oh, we need to implement this new feature. Um, and you're like, okay, well, why, why is this feature going to increase conversion by 5% on this page? Or um, why you know, do you, we need you, to increase? Why, exactly. Why do we need to increase conversion on this page? Or it could be instead of the why, in this case of like, why this, you could then start to, the follow-up to that is why not so-and-so, mm -hmm. you know, I worked on a, on a marketplace and it's one of the things that they had issues with was uh, slow load time. And part of that was because they were trying to load a lot of products. Um, pages were unoptimized. They had to optimize images, but there wasn't as much like lazy loading that was happening on some of those assets. So on a mobile device, it was far more noticeable that page load was quite slow. And so what we were able to do is in order to increase conversion on that page, we said, okay, most of our users are on a mobile device. So whatever we're working on to increase conversion should probably target that base. Then from there, we said, okay, um, on a mobile device, we know that things are slower. People are typically running on slower speeds. So let's start improving page load. So that's either strip stuff out, that's maybe offload some of that stuff, try to make it as optimized of a like experience as possible on mobile. And then from there we started going, oh, 
it's not actually the page speed that's part of the issue. Part of it is that they have to scroll past so much junk on the homepage that they're actually not getting to what they want as value. So let's start bringing some of that value higher up on the page. And so the content that is actually providing the value will be some of the first content that gets loaded and optimized for. So that was something where we had started like optimizing this page so that it was really speedy. And we're like, that's great, but we weren't seeing an improvement until we started moving the layout of the page and started bringing stuff that was lower down the page, higher up. And So along the way there, there was like a dozen different whys. And exactly. Eventually you get to that root cause of, oh, this is why this is first you had the, why are we doing this? But then you had the, why is it doing this? Why is that a problem? And you went and went and went until you found that root cause and then the solution. Exactly. And it was, it was an entire back and forth between, you know, the product team engineering and trying to like figure out how can we optimize this? How can we improve this? Um, and ultimately what we thought was going to solve it didn't, didn't fix it. Um, and if we had just assumed, just built it, sent it out, we wouldn't have, you know, we, we were using data in order to analyze conversion. Of course, that's how we knew that we could improve it. Um, but without sort of like figuring out, well, what will solve this? Why is this solving it? It, it gives you more insight into like, kind of makes you smarter about what you're building. You're not just building for the sake of building because you think it might work. Now I'd like to uh, move into something that's related, but kind of not space here that you can take out. We're at like 30 minutes. We're going to be able to do like multiple sessions on exactly this topic. Like oh, I absolutely. Like we can talk about this for hours space. So a different, but related topic on this that makes the why a little less scary is get to know your team. This was one that I really focused on when I got there because I received some advice from a mentor of mine uh, it was basically when i got the offer i went to him we had another session where we sat down it was like congratulations and he's like what do you want to talk about today i said how do i be a good junior it was exactly this conversation that that i'm able to kind of distill this advice and you're able to give, give some advice but one of the ones that he gave me was he said book those coffee chats that you've been having with everyone book coffee chats with your team not just your direct team, not just the engineering team that you're on, but start with them. So talk with your other engineers, talk with your lead, talk with your product manager and outside of like direct business. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do that. He said, once you're done with that, now speak to your engineering manager, speak to the director, speak to people on other teams, speak to other product. Now speak to customer service, start get start getting more of a, a feel for the business because once you can understand the business, you're so much more valuable than you are as just an engineer. So I did exactly that. And over the first, I think I spent the first month between the bouncing between meetings and starting to learn things, documentation, actually coding, which was a big one. But I tried to get in uh, probably three or four chats a week with other people on the team. And I would do the exact same thing that I tell everyone to do on LinkedIn shoot them a message. Hey, I'm Andrew. I'm new here, a uh, software developer. I would love to chat with you about what you do. Uh, do you have like 15 minutes? Uh, here's some dates that work. And everyone was like, whoa, that's awesome. Yes, absolutely. I had not a single person be like, no, I don't have time for you. And every single conversation was so valuable for me. The ones that I spoke to in engineering, they were giving me like those gotchas, watch out for this, do these things. This is going to be helpful. 
down the road when I needed to reach out to them again, now I had like a connection. It wasn't just who's the new guy who needs help. It was like, oh yeah, it's Andrew. We spoke. Like I know who he is. He, these are the things he's into. Like he's a real live person. Same with product. Now they were more helpful. Um, customer service. Um, other people in the business, especially the big one for me was the designers. I learned so much from the designers about the things we do and what we're trying to do because they were able to explain a lot of things that I didn't get. I'm not a design guy. I'm bad at design. <laughs> and they were able to explain the tools that they use and how I can interact with them and how I can make like Figma work for me, which is something that I hadn't really gotten into. Those were some of the most valuable conversations that I had in my first few weeks. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, in comparison, my, my wife, she's a teacher and, you know, everyone in the school has their own sort of role, right? Like you have the custodial staff, you have the administration, you have like the secretary, the teachers, ECEs, EAs, all of these different roles that are in a school. Um, but each person, like each teacher, you know, they know what's going on in their class. They probably know what's going on in other classes of the same grade, but they might not necessarily know what's going on in, you know, my, my wife's a kindergarten teacher, it's grade one, grade two, might not know what's going on in there to the same degree, but someone like the principal um, probably has a good sort of general understanding of what's going on in all of the classrooms without very specific details. But then you also have like the, the secretary who's going to know so much more about the parents because she's that sort of like first, you know, sort of first line of defense. She's the person that like picks up the phone when a parent's calling. She knows about like how the family makeup is. She knows, you know, that say mom and dad are split and to bring the sort of in each person in a school has their own distinct role that is responsible for different parts of the school, which is very similar to a business. As you're saying, each, each department handles stuff differently, being able to understand the makeup of the company that you're in is going to help you provide more value in the role that you're in so that you can make sure that, you know, you're solving stuff, and it gives you context. I think that's a big thing is like you get context into other areas of like where the companies come from, where they're going, what features are being built, why they're being built, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and it just goes back to being able to provide value. And the earlier you can do that, the better an employee you are. So absolutely continue to build your own value, but start so early. It's not like you're not providing value until you've been there six months. Just by getting to know these people and seeing like what their pain points are, you can start providing value so early. Yep. And the last thing that I, I would say, this is probably the last one for us to touch on for this episode, but it's knowing when to, to message, like when to reach out, when to um, request help is kind of a big one. So we talked about like being able to introduce yourself to others, being able to get knowledge from them, but Oftentimes as a junior, you are going to be put into a situation of something that you alone will not be able to accomplish. And that is to be expected because if you, this is something that I have always felt is you are not being challenged, you are not growing. Because if you are only being given problems that you can easily solve by yourself, you are not growing as an individual. Absolutely. So when should you ask for help, you know, and there is no straight answer to that. Um, I would say, well, actually, Andrew, when when do you typically ask for help as a junior? So this is something that I am really looking to improve upon, and I'm not sure in which direction it's going to go yet, but that's something that I need to improve this year. 
I will spend the time and I've actually been kind of allotted and given this time and told, hey, like you can take that time to struggle with problems. And I think that's just in working in a company that's not a startup and that it's not like we need this right now. We have a little bit more time. So there's times that I'll struggle with something for a good part of a day, but not something simple and small. It'll be like a, a proper big problem. And I'll really struggle with it. And I'll really go through the documents and even when I do ask for question, ask for help, I'll say, like, can somebody just give me a, a nudge in the right direction? And the learning and the growth that I've done from that has been absolutely huge. The improvement that I'd like to make is I need, I think I need to shorten that down a lot. Get it to, if I really struggle with something for maybe an hour is probably plenty of time before it's, hey guys, can I get a little bit of help? Because it's not going to reduce my learning. It's not going to make me any lesser because but I'm actually going to learn something quicker. And now I can learn more things. I've heard people say 15 minutes. I think that's too quick. I don't think you'd ever learn something by only yeah. struggling with it for 15 minutes. Yeah. I think 15 minutes is, is too quick. Um, I think probably an hour to a half day is probably, I would say a good window of time. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is if you can solve something by yourself, and I'm not saying like by yourself with your own knowledge, like if you're reading documentation um, or going through a tutorial in order to solve something like that is you going outside of your own knowledge in order to solve a problem. That's totally fine. But even after doing all that, if you're still struggling, then reaching out to someone that's more senior, um, is definitely, you know, that next step or, you know, reaching out to someone in product, maybe, Maybe the problem why you're struggling is not necessarily an engineering issue, if that's what you're focusing on. It could be that the target or goal is not clearly defined enough that you are struggling from that point. Maybe it could be the designs themselves aren't clear enough. You know, I've been in situations where I build something and I hand it off to the designer and they say, oh, you know, if only you had shown me this earlier, I could have very clearly identified like why like how this should have been done rather than your assumption and i think if you start taking some of those assumptions that's where you start creating more work for everyone because not only have you done the work incorrectly you've handed it off to someone else for them to tell you that it's done incorrectly and then you have to go back remove what you did and do it the correct way and so in some ways if you reach out to others for help earlier it actually makes it faster, even if it doesn't, not in the short term, but definitely in the long term. Absolutely. And I think even on top of that, you're going to learn pretty quickly what you should and shouldn't be reaching out about. Um, and that's kind of dependent on the more senior people in, on your team. Uh, I've got some great seniors that they'll very quickly tell me, like, I'll get the idea. You should probably go back and spend a little bit more time on this. Or, yeah, no, that's a really good problem. Like, let's dive into it. And so depending on the people you work with, you'll probably get that feedback pretty quickly. And that's where I've kind of come to understand that I should probably going, be going to people sooner because sometimes it's just a gotcha in one of our repos. And yep. they'll be like, oh, hey, no, that, here's the answer. Like, they just know it off the top of their head. If I had asked about it an hour ago, I'd have already been moving on. Yep. And, and I have ran into that numerous times in this job and past jobs where it'll come up at stand up. So in our company, we don't have stand up first thing in the morning. It's probably not until I think it's 11, 11 o'clock just because of time zones. Um, and 
someone will say, oh, I've been working on this for a couple hours and I'm trying to like figure this out. And I'll say, hey, uh, just reach out to me. Like I was in that area. I already know probably what you're working on and can help you out with it. And in 15 minutes, we end up solving something that they've been struggling for two hours on, which that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, this is one of the things with our um, our career is that there is some degree of time waste because you don't know everything. But as a junior, to some degree, I expect I would I would say that a junior should be writing more code than a senior. And what I mean by that is the seniors are often trying to figure out the unknowns and their job is to help document the gotchas, the what's going to happen, the why it's going to happen, all that sort of stuff, so that the juniors are able to be able to write code and have a have a sort of like smoother road. The seniors typically have a bumpier road that they're they're dealing with. And you know, they're not perfect. Like that's the thing is like as a senior, um, even product, we, we are not right 100% of the time. We don't document things perfectly. And so there's always going to be questions you do need to reach out and never, never be concerned about reaching out. I think that's the big concern that people have is that they think, oh, this person is going to think I'm stupid for asking this question, especially if it's something that's already been discussed before. It's not stupid. There is so much that happens in your first week or months at a company is you're going to have information overload. So you're going to have to ask the same question multiple times because you're like, oh, that's right. And eventually it will stick. Definitely. And that's, that's where future episode idea here, imposter syndrome, that we will talk about for sure is you just feel it's exactly what you just said. Like, I should know this. I should know this. No, it's impossible. You can't know everything. And what I have found in this industry and with uh, more senior people is they're so understanding. I've never worked in an industry where people just are like, you know, how would you understand? Like, how would you know that already? No problem. Like, it's not that heavy stress. Like, you have to know everything. And it's because they've been there once they were a junior too. Absolutely. Uh, there's, uh, I'm sure you're uh, familiar with the acronym of FNG. Um effing effing new guy uh, mm, syndrome yeah. <laughs> where you know all the old the old grumpy people are you know just you know <laughs> upset about the new guy because he's slowing them down mm. whereas i have found at a lot of companies that i've worked at they're very appreciative of new help because in some ways they know right off at the bat you're not going to be the most efficient person in the room don't worry about that i would say to some degree even as a senior it can take three months, if not sometimes six months for you to become a high performer on a team. And that is someone with, you know, industry experience, relevant hard skills and relevant soft skills. As a junior, someone who doesn't have as much experience, you, it's going to take a long time sometimes for you to provide value. And that's why I think leaning more so on the soft skills rather than the hard skills is probably going to be your most benefit in providing value to a company because if you can work, if you can provide value through those soft skills, you are going to, in your job, start developing your hard skills. Absolutely. The hard skills are just a matter of time. You've already proven you can do that. You've done the boot camp. you're self-taught, you've gone to school, you've built your projects. You already have the basics down of that. But if you suck to work with, you're not going to last in any industry, and especially not this one. Uh, biggest one being so many of us being remote. 
Exactly. It's yeah. And I think if I could take this entire episode uh, and boiling it down into a quick one, one sentence is as a junior, you're the number one thing that to provide value is to make sure that your communication is as high and efficient as possible. Because if you are not communicating, especially in a remote environment, especially in an environment where you don't know what's going on, those around you will be frustrated if you try to lone wolf it and just try to figure it out on your own. Whereas by taking what you are spending hours to do, they could instill that knowledge into like 10, 15 minutes over a Zoom call and be able to help you continue on your way. That's exactly it. Ask questions, ask lots of questions, ask questions early and often. Exactly. And at the very least, you know, just share what you're learning with others. I think that's that's another thing um, that can kind of come along with it is to our prior episode, you know, the idea of building in public, you can build in public in your Slack and sort of share what you're working on. Um, I think maybe we can have another episode of like methods of working in a remote environment. I think that could be kind of interesting. Yes. Um, I have some ideas of stuff that I've seen and heard and done before that would be uh, probably pretty useful to some people. Excellent. I like that. Shall we wrap this episode? Let's wrap it up. Amazing. So let's wrap that up. This has been Looney Engineering discussing how to be a good junior. Andrew and I have been discussing how you can try to provide as much value to your company from day one as a junior. Again, I want to thank you for listening and feel free to connect with both of us on any sort of feedback that you have for this podcast, any topics that you would like us to discuss in the future. Any last words, Andrew? Ask lots of questions.